Hello and welcome to another episode of Polar Times, the podcast that brings you science and stories from literally the coolest places on the planet. We have a bit of a special episode for you today. We don't have a guest like usual per se. The people we have, I'm joined by all these lovely people before me who are, I guess, the people behind the magic, the new Apex project group who are going to be bringing you new episodes of Polar Times in the new year. We might call it season two, I guess, in 2021, if people like the idea of that. So these are the people who are, like I say, going to be uh, creating the episodes and editing them and hosting them. You'll be hearing some of their lovely voices. And we just thought that this special Christmas episode or miraculously New Year episode, because I think it's coming out on the 1st of January. So it might be nice to introduce ourselves and so you can kind of hear what we're like as people rather than just uh, faceless, soulless interviewers who, you know, you don't get to know very much when we're interviewing someone else. So, hello everyone, how's it all going? Hello. Hi there. <laughs> yeah, okay. People are joining us from hello. all over the world because that is the nature of Apex, isn't it? I'm here in the UK and we have other people from the UK, um, I believe Canada and the US and Germany. And who have I missed out? Anyone? <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what Apex is like. We are all in different time zones and trying to organise. There's also a lot of people in the group who couldn't make it tonight sadly who we might hear from we might edit in some voice notes from them so yeah so I thought it'd be good just for them to kind of introduce themselves and why they're into polar science and why they're into polar time so I guess we'll just go around why don't we Katharina hi why don't we start with you <laughs> hi <laughs> so um yeah I'm Katharina I'm based in Iceland, but I'm from Germany. I have a background in polar law. So I studied polar law at the University of Akure in Iceland. And I'm currently getting my second master degree in Costa and Marine Management, also in Iceland. Uh, I moved to the westwards now though. That's basically my background. I love the polar regions. I'm super excited about Antarctica and of course also the Arctic. So a matter of time for me to get involved with Apex, I guess. Super excited about being in this podcast here now. So, so you're calling from the Westfields right now? No, I'm actually in Germany right now. Ah, home for Christmas. For okay. the holidays, <laughs> yes. I'm I was going to say, I imagine they get snowed in at this time of year, don't they? And that's quite remote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, we, got, we had a snowstorm the past few days and there was no snow like a few days ago, which is pretty unusual. And now there's like, I think a meter of snow or something. It's crazy. Wow. You yeah, the pictures just in cool. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a bit sad. I love <laughs> the snow, so <laughs> yeah. Okay, fab. Uh, uh, next on my screen is Alexandra. Hi. Hi, so my name is Alexandra and I'm currently a PhD student at the German Polar Research Institute, the Alfred Wiener Institute in Potsdam. And my background is in climate science and I'm studying paleoclimate um, 
I was lucky enough to be able to go to the Union Ice Sheet twice for my field work. So we flew there with the New York Air Force um, to the ice and we kept there for several weeks and it was very exciting. And it was really good to take my samples on my own to kind of get the feeling what we're actually doing there. Uh, working with Apex already for a couple of years, but only in the national committee. But I love podcasts, so I thought, why not join the council and the project group and uh, try to interview people and get to know interesting stories from people around the polar regions. Hey, Fab, I guess you'll have to tell us some of your best fieldwork stories, maybe on this episode. Uh, I think we had a competition of uh, digging the deepest toilet hole in the ice. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> usually they're about two meter fifty, and then they last for a couple of weeks. But one group made it to about six meters, and that was very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the things you have to do to entertain yourself when you're on your remote <laughs> field work. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. Uh, okay, let's go with Nicole next. Hi, how's it going? Well, it's going well. I'm also from Germany. Um, I'm currently in Chile. I'm doing my master's degree here in uh, Antarctic science and glaciology. I'm currently writing my thesis and I'm very busy with that. I did study ge geology and geosciences in Potsdam and I just met one professor who was really into Antarctic science and I just fell in love with her presentations and her studies. So I decided I want to do that as well. That's how I ended up here at the end of the world. <laughs> also, and you say you're super busy with your thesis, but you're involved in a lot of other uh, Apex groups as well, aren't you? Are you heading one of the Antarctica Day? Is that someone else? Yeah, I'm the leader of the Antarctica Day project group. We just finished, so I'm having a bit more space to breathe. Um, it went really well. I, I loved it. Our team was awesome, and I think we did a really good job Antarctica Day. And so now, now I'm devoted to podcasts, I guess. <laughs> ah, I'm so glad to hear it. Awesome. Uh, tell us a bit more about Antarctica Day. What is that marking or celebrating? Yes, Antarctica Day celebrates the anniversary of the Antarctic Treaty. This year was 61st anniversary. And we just like to remind people of that Antarctica exists because it's so remote and usually we talk about Arctic and Alpine, Alpine regions. So it's important to shine a bit of light down there. Yeah, especially in a year like the one we just had where potentially everyone's <laughs> focus kind of narrows, uh, understandably, of course. Um, so yeah, oh, fabulous, that sounds great. Uh, okay, Christy, you're next on my screen. Hi, yeah, my name is Christy. I'm a Canadian and I'm now working in, in Northern Canada. Uh, mostly in the mining industry and I'm a geological engineer. I did my master's recently, just finished in, um, and my expertise is in cold regions geohazards. So I mostly look at how infrastructure can be damaged um, or how communities, how they can be damaged by geohazards and how we can protect them. And my master's was in Greenland, Denmark and Norway. So I just got a bunch of travel in right before the pandemic started. Oh, excellent. Again, tell us all about it soon. Uh, it's really nice we have a mix of Arctic and Antarctic people in this group, obviously. That's uh, one of the best things about Apex, I suppose, because like Nicole just said, your focus is on one thing. And I always just think about Antarctica because that's uh, my bag. But So yeah, it's super keen to have uh, Arctic people in the group. Henrietta, you're next on my screen. <laughs> 
Um, so hi everyone, I'm Henrietta and my background is in anthropology and museums as well. Um, so I studied anthropology uh, as an undergraduate and then I went out into the world and worked in some museums in Canada and in northern Canada to the part of the capital of the world, which was really fun. And then I came back to the UK and worked in a polar museum here and now I've just started a PhD at the University of Reading which is looking at Antarctic explorers in museums. So I've gone kind of from one extreme to the other, from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Yeah, awesome. It'd be great to have a kind of a historical perspective, anthropological perspective, I suppose, because it's quite easy, especially, well, APEX stands for Association of Polar Early Career Scientists, obviously. So people think science is all, you know, uh, physics, chemistry, biology. <laughs> and then so it's good to have some uh, social science historical and Laura as well, Katerina as well. All right, uh, Susanna, you're next on my screen. Yes, uh, my name is Susanna Hancock and I'm currently dialing in from Maine in the US where we are deliciously snowed in. It makes me very happy. And I recently, last year, completed my PhD refill in anthropology from the University of Oxford. And I took a little break from polar work for my default. I did some comparative work in the Middle East, but looking at my, my overall message and what I'm doing now is looking at climate and seeing both the Arctic, Antarctica, and the Middle East as regions in which climate change is exemplified and laboratories to study some of the social, human, environmental connections. I first fell in love with polar regions through Antarctica. I started off, I wanted to be an astrophysicist since I was four and got really interested in astrophysics in Antarctica. That got me to the polar regions and I later moved to Iceland and Norway where I went to school for a while and fell in love with the Arctic and then pursued my master's and some undergraduate research in the Arctic. And now I'm sort of back in the Arctic area looking at some social climate issues. And I think one thing that I'm taking from my Arctic experience now, being back in the US where it is periodically very cold, about 40 degrees below zero every winter where I am, is uh, the idea of buttering my chocolate bar, which when I mentioned to people here that I will put butter on a chocolate bar or drink olive oil straight from the jar uh, as a way to get warm that elicits a few laughs. I, I've never heard of that. That's a way to get warm. It's a way to get warm. And it was something that I was required when I was uh, doing a project on a glacier. I had two chocolate bars I had to eat a day. I was required to put butter on both of them. And I was told to carry two water bottles, well, three water bottles. One was a flask of hot tea, one was water, and one was olive oil so that I could drink the olive oil if I needed the extra calories. Oh my goodness. Did you think the first time they said that, that they were like pranking you? <laughs> I would have, except that the day before that first, I got that lesson, I was in a hotel in Iceland and they had a salad bar. And it was the first time I had been in a hotel there. And a salad bar, they had all the dressings. And then on the side, they also had a vat of fish oil. And I didn't realize that that was on one side of the salad and the salad dressing was on the other side of the salad. So I had just eaten a salad dressed in lemon flavored fish oil. Oh. And 
I think after that, I was pretty happy to taste straight up olive oil. Wow, there you go. It's real, uh, oddly, it's a baptism of fire, isn't it, going into polar, <laughs> <laughs> polar field research and stuff like that. Wow, right. fabulous. Okay, and last on my screen is uh, Spencer. Hi. Hi, so I'm Spencer. I'm from the US, but I'm currently doing a PhD in Canada. And my background is in fisheries conservation and genetics. And I'm working in the Canadian Arctic around a subsistence fishery, helping a community to manage and conserve that. Yeah, and this is my first time being involved in Apex. And yeah, podcast seemed like a fun way to get involved and never done a podcast before, but yeah, it seemed, seemed fun and different. Excellent. That's, uh, I hope that is what it ends up being it was i will freely admit slightly a product of our first lockdown and <laughs> we had in the uk it was just made an idea of, you know why doesn't apex already have a podcast and actually we have a group member who sadly couldn't be here tonight who says she does a kind of polar podcast already and i think i think she's from uh, australia or new zealand oceana anyway and um, so it'd be good to hear her perspective in the future i guess we'll have her maybe on an episode or something um, Okay, fab. And I suppose I should also introduce myself since I'm not sure I've ever done that on the airwaves. So my name's uh, Jack Buckingham. You've heard me on previous episodes interviewing people. Like I say, this uh, kind of concept of polar times came out of my brain during lockdown. I am a marine biologist and a PhD student and I'm looking at like microplastics around South Georgia where I was fortunate enough to do my field work back at the start of 2019, which Wow, I can't believe how fast that's gone <laughs> since then. So I love all things marine biology and plastic pollution, and especially South Georgia. So whenever we have a guest from South Georgia, I'll be very uh, excited. So, so yeah, so that's us. That's um, just some of the Polar Times team we have who will be bringing you episodes in the new year. Hi, my name is Ryan O'Hara, and I'm the co-chair on the Polar Times. As Jack said, a few of us weren't able to make it to this recording session, so here are a few quick voice notes where we introduce ourselves. Like I said, my name is Ryan, and I'm an undergraduate student at the University of Arizona studying chemistry and astrophysics. I've worked with NASA on the development of an algae-based water purification system meant to support extraterrestrial colonies and water-starved communities in the Global South, and currently work at the intersection between chemistry climate change, and environmental science. I hope everyone's having a good and safe holiday season, and I'm looking forward to working with the Polar Times over the course of the next year. Hi there, my name's Elise Galois, and I am a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh, and I study tundra ecology and vegetation responses to climate change uh, across different scales in the Arctic. And I have been an editor uh, for the Polar Times for about half a year now. So most of the episodes so far I've edited and I'm really looking forward to working with the team in the upcoming year. I think one of my favorite things has been listening to the interviewees so far, getting first access to that. We've heard some really inspiring stories about people who have dumbled into polar life from all sorts of different backgrounds and I'm really looking forward to the interviews that we host and edit in the upcoming year. People who are uh, polar researchers or work in logistics or live in Arctic and Antarctic regions. I think that will be a really exciting set of interviews coming up. 
So Merry Christmas to everyone involved. Happy Hanukkah, happy holidays, happy festive season, everyone. I hope everyone has a wonderful new year. And let's see, do I have a fun polar festive story to tell? Well, that's quite hard because in the Arctic, for Arctic research, especially for anything to do with plants, it's more common to go up to your field station in summer. So I've only been up to the Arctic in the spring and summer months. So I have some some chilly August and July time stories to tell. But I suppose I can talk a little bit about how this year, obviously, we weren't able to travel up to the Yukon where I would normally be going for my PhD to collect field data because of the pandemic. And of course, we didn't want to risk any northern communities by spreading COVID-19 up to those areas. So instead, I was basically sitting on uh, a lot of free time and myself and uh, my colleague uh, Laura Turner from the University of Nottingham decided instead to start our experiments not in the Arctic but in the the Cairngorms. So we have a pilot run of our soil core experiments currently going up underway in the Cairngorms in Scotland. This is not really the tundra but it's the closest to the tundra you can get in the United Kingdom and so yeah in the middle of the pandemic we were able to get paperwork signed off and um, hiked up a hill with bags of soil um, with some field assistance in oh I think it was late November and it felt like the beginning of the festive season because we did experience, you know, when snow gets horizontal because it's so windy, horizontal snow. So um, I think it was my first wintertime experience that felt like the Arctic. <laughs> Hopefully one day I'll actually be able to go to the Arctic in wintertime. I think that would be really fascinating. But uh, no, it was very nice to to get out and as Laura said when we were up there, uh, you know, when you can't visit the Arctic, take the Arctic to you to Scotland. So maybe this time next year I'll have a, <laughs> a story about my actual fieldwork location in the Yukon, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. And yep, yeah, happy holidays to everyone, and I hope you continue to listen to and enjoy the Polar Times. Bye! Any 2020 highlights that you want to talk about, like a really good paper or a really good finding or anything like that that you would like to advertise to the world? Well, I was looking into that a bit earlier and I found that there is like a bit of like penguin news in 2020. So I was like uh, researching a bit and I saw that there is like actually 11 new emperor penguin colonies which have been discovered in, by the British Antarctic Survey. And now that makes 61 colonies which are spread across the continent. But then there's also a study that were found that there's actually four different species of gentoo penguins. So first they thought it's only one species, but then they found out that like the gentoo penguins, which are spread in like different um, areas around, like across the Southern Ocean, that they are actually super different. They said that they actually look super similar, like from the just by the eye you can't see the difference very much but like genetically because there has been like there's new data now they have found that they are actually really different and that that these differences are actually pretty great and also i think they said even that they even have different diets like there's colonies in the falkland islands south georgia and arctic peninsula and Carrig 
Gurlin Islands. And since they don't interbreed with each other, they became genetically distinct. So yeah, I found that really interesting because I was kind of checking how many species were found this year in Antarctica. Um, and I didn't find like a number or something of all the species, but then I stumbled across the different penguin news and I found that quite cool because I assume everyone likes penguins because they're quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, awesome. I, I believe before the, there were four different gentoos, there was 18 species of penguin. Okay. I think we can name them all as a group. Well, I, I know them because yeah, I'm right. a biologist. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, I also read it was 18 and now there's 21 because right. one out of four, uh, out of one, there's four now. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Who would mm. have thought that there's suddenly four different types of gentoo penguins? Yeah. yeah, and going back to those emperor penguin colonies as well, I think they found them using satellite imagery. And I think the way they find a new colony is by looking yeah. for like big brown stains which is all of the penguin poop on the ice yeah <laughs> and that's what yeah. stands out in the satellite images and then it's like oh there's a new colony there's a new colony so uh... <laughs> so funny. but yeah it was definitely with like satellite data yeah that's there you go cool. some good news that came out of 2020 yeah. <laughs> And uh, speaking of satellite imagery, that's a good segue into the iceberg, which is gonna, or was about to hit South Georgia. That was quite big polar news. Did you know about that, Christy? Would you mention it before? Or, I mean, I've been following it avidly because, as I said, I was a South Georgia nut and it looked like it was gonna crash into <laughs> the shallow benthic area around South Georgia. Although I believe in the last few days it's kind of turned south and is like fragmenting possibly. So that was quite yeah, good news it, as well. It seems like it's hit international news, like it's a it's an affair that the whole world is interested in, even though it it only affects such a small a small place. And I think that in itself is quite interesting that so many people are interested in in an iceberg floating in the middle of, of the ocean. Well, I mean, it was I mean, it was massive, wasn't it? I, I think it was like I mean, Bowman's go away and check the facts, but I think it was like twenty six hundred kilometers squared or something, which is the size of. Luxembourg maybe I read I'm not sure if that's true <laughs> it's a really big iceberg <laughs> uh, which is gonna she was gonna cause problems because if it hits South Georgia it means that you know the penguins and the seals and stuff won't be able to leave to forage I suppose because it's like a whole bit of land it's not just a, an iceberg like you're probably picturing so yeah so that was quite distressing I suppose potentially for the biologists of South Georgia <laughs> Do you know with what speed it was drifting? It broke away from Antarctica in 2017, I believe. So it's taken, oh, yeah, okay. what, three years to get to South Georgia, yeah. which is, I'm not sure how far in kilometres, but not, not, not crazy far. Yeah, I was imagining that it takes quite a bit for such a big iceberg to reach South Georgia then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to drift up to, you know, Europe anytime <laughs> anytime oh. soon yeah sadly Sad. <laughs> yes so does anyone else have any any good any new any polar news from 2020 i saw a documentary and uh, it's not from 2020 i think it's more of a general thing uh, i saw a documentary about um, meteorites in antarctica and for me as a glaciologist i'm always only thinking about what is below the ice and in the ice not what is above and I'm always forgetting that uh, there are so many other people working in different disciplines. But I was really fascinated that people go to Antarctica and they just look for those meteorites in Antarctica because they're so well preserved that 
it's so easy to find them because they're black and because it's so cold they they stay there for many many years and you can go back there and then you can know what's happening in the space and what the moon is like and i was just really fascinated that uh, polar regions are so helpful for other research disciplines i wonder if you get do you get more meteorites in polar regions or anything or are they more documented or i know nothing about this topic so we need I to have someone know. on the on the podcast obviously <laughs> i think i found several hundred ones in just one area around their camp in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that it's extraordinary the amount of the meteorites they can find here. I guess it's yeah. also because it's a lot easier to find. Yeah, I think yeah, I watched I the so. same the same documentary and they, they talked about how like in that region on the ice shelf there the only rocks would be meteorites, which I think is makes them easier to find because there's there's no confusion. But really, I mean you can find meteorite rocks all over the world and, and they do all the time, but they're uh yeah, like probably not as well preserved and, and probably more likely to be buried. There's also not only that, but also the dry like conditions of Antarctica change the corrosion level. So when meteorites are high in iron, if they fall in a very humid climate, the combination of the moisture and oxygen can cause corrosion that doesn't occur in Antarctica. So a lot more end up being recovered from Antarctica in addition to being more easily found with the just contrast in climate and the white versus the black. But that doesn't necessarily mean that more actually fall there. Okay, awesome. We'll have to have a kind of astrophysicist or something into into polar times to ask them all about meteorites in polar places. That would be that people would be interested in that too. <laughs> yeah, fab. Other news this year, just off the top of my head, I suppose, is the whole, uh, we've talked about it quite a lot on the podcast already, the Mosaic expedition, which was just interesting because it was so uh, big and took so much time to organise and must have been so expensive. I mean, Alexandra, did you, who said they were in Potsdam right now? Because that's where RV is. Did you know anything about it? or? Uh, I heard that they paid about 200,000 euros per day for the ship and the running costs. I think that's without the, the transport of people and food and cargo and everything. So it's just the running cost for the personnel and the ship. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we should get also, uh, you know, logistics people onto the podcast to hear about things like yeah, that, you know, how do people get their food into both places and what does it take and all that kind of stuff. Cause that's really half the work of <laughs> um, polar science, isn't it? Just working in such remote places. I bet in Potsdam you just got bombarded by emails all the time about the mosaic <laughs> thing. It was just such a big, it was so international. And I suppose it was money well spent probably because it was so, they've done so much science in the year. And it'll be interesting over the next decade to see the results from that. So, Yeah, as far as I heard, it wasn't all paid by our institute because the, the contracts with all of the other countries which are part of Mosaic, they, they also paid some of the fees. Yeah, but um, I'm really curious how they're going to do the data sharing. I mean, it's such a big project and there's so many interesting data and I guess everybody who was there wants to be part of the, the, the data and the analysis. And that's going to be... I think it's also a big step for research to make data more accessible and to share it more between different countries and different institutes. Sure, and also it's a big stepping stone of like, you know, collaboration works, you know, especially in somewhere like the Arctic, which is quite contested potentially in other walks of life. So it's good that we're all working together in science, I suppose, most of the time. <laughs> From what I hear, fingers crossed. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm also really interested in how they will do it with the data and if they will connect it to like other fields, like social sciences or anything, because like everything they found or also will find uh, throughout like data analysis has implications for the whole of the Arctic and the globe. So yeah, I'm really curious about that because I think that's also a thing which we really need to focus on in the future to do more interdisciplinary work and um, connect social sciences or yeah just other sciences with the natural sciences so yeah I think that's also a really interesting part because to be honest I'm always looking up um, the vacancies on uh, the Alfred Wigner Institute page and they always have like these sciencey things and I'm not exactly a natural scientist so I'm always like wishing for something like to find something which is connected to like social sciences for example like implications from climate change to i don't know the governance or yeah social sciences so yeah i'm really interested in how that will go because yeah as you said this is data which we will use for the next decades it's like super interesting it's such a cool thing actually and staying on the arctic and social environmental issues i suppose does anybody have any information about trump x thankfully president trump and his drilling in the arctic it was all constantly oh he's drilling in the arctic he's giving away huge swathes of land i don't again i don't know much about it beyond the headlines which are potentially clickbait does anybody have any more information about that or know a bit more about the the story because that's definitely something we should investigate on our investigative podcast <laughs> if not <laughs> I know that yesterday, I believe they're. I think they're still planning on doing the sale for it, uh, leasing 1.5 million acres within the Alaskan Wildlife National Wildlife Refuge uh, before Biden takes office to get that through. I know yesterday they removed almost 500,000 acres from that, but we don't have any further updates except they're determined to push it through. That said, there are organizations, companies saying that they are not going to support the lease of it. So Trump can try to push it through, but whether it will be supported on the other end. And some oil companies that have come out and say that if this is supported and the lease goes through, that they're going to have to reassess their relationships with whoever actually takes that lease so still some chance that it's not going to turn into a drilling field but uh trump's pretty set on doing what he's going to do with it so we'll see and so stay tuned i mean obviously it would be really nice if i suppose if that doesn't happen for alaska and the environment and <laughs> etc but and also we shouldn't really be commenting on political issues as an apolitical um organization but uh <laughs> anyway <laughs> um so yes so uh should we move swiftly on to another topic do we have any more news from 2020 good or bad or middle or... there was quite a big anniversary this year just from my line of work in that it's the 200th anniversary of western um, discovery of Antarctic. There's some evidence to suggest that uh, different indigenous peoples from other parts of the world had made it down to that kind of icy continent before them. But for us, it's 200 years since we've known that that's what's down there, which is quite an exciting 
um, thing and also doesn't really feel that long really in the whole of human history whereas only really to have got there 200 years ago or at least you know our ancestors in the west and I think that's quite an interesting anniversary to remember. Was there ever any debate that you know indigenous people hadn't made it there before western explorers? I would have thought that they would have they would have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a big prize, you know, to have made it down there, and it ties into ideas about what we think of as heroic um, in our societies and, and what we kind of value. And so there, there kind of was, I think, in the past, an element of you know, you've got to be this great guy, this impressive, often white European male. Um, to, to make it down there and, and no one else kind of beaten you. But I think that we're increasingly looking for and finding, of course, um, more diverse outlets on that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it gets tied into nationalism and, and yeah, heroes um, quite often. Yes, and of course we said the Arctic was slightly contested before, but I guess that's true for the Antarctic as well, even with the, the whole the Antarctic Treaty. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's always going to be something political about people coming together, different nations coming together and saying, yeah, we'll work together. It's, it's always got to be on that kind of level of politics. So, yeah, it's easy to think of the Antarctic as an apolitical space, but it's not. <laughs> it's the thing to remember. Christy, were you going to, did you have something to share? Yeah, the uh, another interesting news article I read this year was about how two of the well how there's expected to be potentially a gap in satellite data because both the Cryosat 2 the the European Space Agency Cryosat 2 and uh, NASA's ISAT 2 are both not expected to have a long enough longevity to like they, they don't think there will be another satellite that covers the polar regions put out in space before those lose before the instruments on those two satellites kind of lose their longevity and I thought that was really interesting this year because it, I know so many people who changed their research from like they couldn't go into the field and, and then instead they relied on satellite data to, to do the, the research that they wanted and a, a lot of new developments with satellites, SpaceX sending thousands of new satellites into space. And I, you know, I've heard a lot, I've heard by 2050, there's supposed to be more satellites than stars visible in the night sky. So I was really concerned that there's way too many satellites, but that reading this news article kind of really made me think about how the polar regions are not necessarily the priority for for satellites because it's not profitable and it's really just research driven. But that seems like an important issue that people should know about. That if we couldn't monitor the, the you know how much ice is is thawing, then that would be a really serious issue. Um, so I'm sure it will get solved, but. It does seem like something people should be talking about. For sure. I wonder how long of a gap there will be in the data. Yeah, it, it seemed it seemed a bit ambiguous, but I guess it's potentially potentially a gap. And even if it was a year, it, it could be pretty detrimental to a lot of sciences. And I suppose those science, I suppose these those satellites must be government funded, right? They can't be pure academic funded. I mean, it's like it's hard enough getting a grant to send a person to Antarctica, let alone a, a satellite into space for your research. Like, I can't even imagine the cost of that. So I don't know. We need, like I say, we need a, an astronomer or a, a space scientist on our, uh, on the podcast next year. Okay, awesome. And does anybody have any other news things? If not, we might move on to plans, I suppose, what we're all planning on, you know, people you've got in mind to interview and um, things like that. In the coming year and I, I suppose I can talk about 
the next two episodes which are already done so that's like a taster of what's coming I can I can tell you about the episodes we have coming up immediately in January because they are already pre-recorded. We have somebody talking about kind of I suppose the history of uh, women in polar science and how there's a whole been a whole different gender gap from as long as it's been happening up until now. That was really cool. She was talking about intersectionality and different minorities and stuff like that. That was awesome. And we also have someone else who went to. Greenland and she actually produced her own podcast which is more kind of it's hard to describe it's kind of a listening experience so we'll be promoting her podcast through our podcast but again hopefully a good one for you to listen to and yes also in the new year hopefully we might produce some different kinds of episodes that are not just interview of guests we might do some education kind of things where it's like you know we just talk to each other about things like what is what is scar what is camera what's the arctic council things like that which are in our polar vernacular which might you know keep cropping up in lots of episodes potentially so so yeah so that's our I suppose in a nutshell, that's our plans for 2021. Okay, that brings us to the end of another episode of Polar Times. Thank you for joining us once again. Thank you to all my guests for who are the team and for all of your dedicated hard work so far and in the new year. I'm so excited to see what Polar Times is going to be bringing in 2021, just hopefully growing and diversifying and hearing lots of different polar voices is the plan and it sounds like we're going to be able to deliver that fingers crossed so yeah so wherever you are whatever you're doing hopefully you had a good christmas and a new year as happy as you can have been and we look forward to producing episodes for you coming up and if you'd like to get in contact with us to you know recommend a guest or to just give us some feedback. We do welcome feedback. You can email us at thesearepolartimes at gmail.com or you can tweet Apex, which is at polar underscore research. So excellent. Thanks a lot. That was Polar Times introducing the team. Please note that whilst this is an Apex production, the views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests are entirely their own and do not represent the views or opinions of Apex or any other host institution mentioned.